Um, thank you, Neil, and uh, good morning, everybody. It's just great to see you all. Um, and as Neil says, we've been doing a three-part series um, over the last three weeks um, into the new year with Jesus. And two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of God's blessings when Jesus came um, it was baptised, um, the heavens opened, he was filled with the Spirit, and the greatest blessing that we can receive in our lives is to be touched and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we looked uh, last week at battles, blessings and battles, the very fact that Jesus was led um, into the wilderness straight away to do battle with the enemy, um, and we talked a little bit about the world, the flesh and the devil, um, and I propose to you a number of scenarios that um, probably you might relate to and remember that we struggle with. We have battles in the Christian life, um, but Jesus has overcome those battles and we have those resources available to us. And today I want to talk about the phrases beyond belief, beyond belief. And I want to start off by saying that perhaps um, the highlight of being a minister is actually to officiate at a wedding, you know, you meet the couple before the wedding, you have a counselling sessions with them, and the couple can hardly take their feet off the floor. They're so excited. And of course, on the wedding day, one has the privilege of standing and seeing the groom standing slightly to the left and turning round and looking down the aisle and seeing his bride coming in down the aisle. What a moment that is. And then there's that moment where the bride and the groom come together and invariably they hold hands and they say those most sacred vows to one another. Those sacred, it's so touching to see that moment. And of course, as a minister, you've got the front seat in the house. But the thing about a wedding is that if you think about it, it is God's most sacred of human covenants because it began in the Garden of Eden. And so as a minister, one has the privilege of seeing that covenant being continued um, through humanity. But weddings can also be an extremely tense time. Um, the bride in particular, the guys are a bit more laissez-faire, the bride in particular sees the culmination of many months of planning and on the other hand, of course, on the day, there is such joy. This joy is infectious. I, I notice it's particularly infectious often at the beginning of the wedding when the bride comes in and everybody turns to look at the bride. I recall an incident in 2018 when I happened to be in Nepal and we'd just finished doing a, a ministry time in a church and the team were invited by our guests to go to a little restaurant it was a second-story restaurant, and we ordered our food, and suddenly we heard this noise outside on the streets. There was banging and clashing and shouting and hollering, and we all went over to the window and looked down, and there was this mighty procession of clashing cymbals and trumpets and cheering and shouting, and right at the front was a bride and a groom, obviously, with a pagoda-like thing over them, and they were like kings and queens, and the whole of the street and around them had stopped as this procession went down the street. It was such a joyous occasion, and I can remember seeing people dancing and shouting and clapping. It was like the whole suburb had come alive. 
I think in um, New Zealand we're a little bit more restrained, a little bit more reserved when it comes to weddings. But I want to show you in a minute a homemade video, only the last two minutes of it, and if you want to see the rest of it, you can go home and see, it's rather fun, of a bride and a groom, Jill and Kevin's wedding. It was a video that was made in 2009, and it was sent to 20 close friends, but after a few years it had 98 million views on YouTube. And Time magazine called it one of the 50 best videos ever. But bear in mind, this is just a homemade video. Okay, and Kevin and uh, Jill are their names. Kevin said this about their wedding. He said this, we just wanted to celebrate. And we thought, what better way to celebrate than to get it started right away? So here we have the wedding entry coming up on the screen. Thank you, Lynette. Um, I was looking online, and uh, they're married, obviously, now with three children. Um, I think 11, uh, 8, and 5. And the kids watch this uh, video often, and they say it's the coolest video. <laughs> so the wedding of Cana, which we heard in the scriptures being read today, which Billy read, was the occasion of Jesus' first miracle. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, it says, this beginning of signs. And this was his first recorded public miracle in front of people. And a wedding in those days was considered, as it is today, one of the greatest events of life. Especially in the small towns and villages, uh, particularly in Cana, which is in Galilee, um, it was an opportunity for joy, an opportunity for celebration. It was an opportunity for a party. The wedding itself would last for a week, and the groom and the bride would wear crowns, and whatever they said goes for a week. The parents would have saved up quite a lot of money to pay for the wedding, because there are many guests from the villages. In fact, in some villages, the whole village would take part. It would have been a time to be released from the drudgery, drudgery and the poverty of life because they were farming people, subsistence level farming, and it was a time to kick up their heels and celebrate. And this is the background to our text today. A wedding in Cana, which was not far from Jesus' hometown, Jesus had only just come into his ministry and probably the whole village was there. But I don't think that we can underestimate or underscore the distress in Mary's voice when she came to Jesus and said, the wine has run out. In a Jewish wedding, wine was an essential commodity, not just for the guests to drink, but it was also a symbol of exhilaration, a symbol of excitement and celebration. You know, the psalmist said this, the Lord makes plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth and wine that gladdens the heart of men. And the writer of Ecclesiastes said, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favours what you do. Rabbis used to say this, Without wine there's no joy. In fact, it was of such importance at a wedding 
that a lawsuit could actually officially be brought against the bride and groom's families if there was not enough wine. It was expected. And therefore, it would have been a huge embarrassment and a huge disgrace for the hosts not to have enough wine. How could the parents have miscalculated? I did a very bad miscalculation at our wedding, I might add, uh, by giving um, a man who was looking after the, after the wedding, we hired this little hall. We were, got married in London, and um, he was Scots, so I thought I'd give him a gift of a bottle of whiskey. And it was the worst thing I ever did, because he drank the bottle of whiskey before the wedding. <laughs> and as we were going into the hall, he was standing next to Sue's parents, welcoming everybody in. And I think all my family were thinking... Now, this must be on Sue's side of the family and everybody on Sue's side of the family. So it was a huge miscalculation. Anyway, so this wedding uh, in Canaan provides this opportunity for the first miracle. And I want to spend some time looking at this word sign. Because in verse 11, it talks about the beginning of the signs. Now, when this word is used, it's used to... Um, display a deeper meaning. Signs are a moment when heaven opens and the transforming power of God breaks into the present and changes it. That's what a sign is. And here we see, in this third message of the new year, a God who can transform our present by his presence. We see here a kingdom arriving, intersecting with the world that we live in, that suddenly becomes but is now not yet. It's a foretaste of what is to come. And here we see the incredible miracle of water being transformed into a 2018 Screaming Eagle Cabernet Sauvignon, which is worth about $7,500 a bottle. The wedding master of ceremonies saying, you've kept the very best wine till the end. This is an example of Jesus' transforming power to change circumstances. You know, God's transforming power can be seen in many ways, but perhaps the most glorious is when a human life is changed. When God breaks into a human life by his spirit and brings change. Sue and I received this um, beautiful Christmas card this year from a girl um, who accepted Christ um, this last year um, here at this church. And she said, Dear Lorn and Sue, through you and many others referring to the church, God has blessed and filled my heart with joy. Joy that prior to meeting Jesus' Holy Spirit personally was unimaginable to me. It is truly wonderful to be a child of God. Don't you love that? Isn't that beautiful? The transforming sign of God breaking into the present. But I think this miraculous sign that we've seen here actually points to the compassion of God. As in the miraculous provision of flour and oil that Elijah prophesied over the widow who was about to die, who was probably a famine, 
God provided the necessaries for her to live on. And the same here. We see the Lord, our Lord, realizing a really difficult situation. The wine has run out at this wedding. Can't you hear the people saying, Oh, remember that family? They couldn't provide us with enough wine even for a wedding. What scrooges are they? Can you imagine the gossip in the village? It was a very distressing situation. But God's compassion is demonstrated here as, the, as with the widow where the water is transformed into the wine. You know, and it wasn't just an ordinary wine, it was the very best wine. It wasn't just a few more days flour and oil. It was enough flour and oil for them to live all the way through the famine. And one thing about God is this. God's provision is never just enough, but it's always an abundance. My mum and dad had some very good friends called uh, Moira and Dermot Marable, um, and they retired uh, to a place called Jeffreys Bay in South Africa after he had served in the government for many, many years. And one day God prompted them to start feeding the hungry children that would walk past their letterbox every day to school. So they used to go down to the local market and they bought meat and vegetables and bread. They'd take it home and they would cook up three very large urns of soup, really nutritious soup. They'd pop it on the back of their ute and they'd take it down to the schools, and every day, five days a week, they would feed the children at the gate. And one day, as they were going down the drive, the ute slipped, and two of the urns tipped over, and the soup was lost. And they thought, what are we going to do? And they felt God saying to them, just carry on and feed my children. So they hopped into the ute with just one third of the soup left. They went out of the school, and they fed all the children, and they had some left over. And they came home absolutely rejoicing. They had seen heaven intersecting with earth. That is God's compassion. God is a compassionate God. We sang that song today, God of all compassion. The kindness of Jesus. But at a deeper level we see something else that John, the writer, who wrote this retrospectively, wanted us to notice. Notice that the water was in water pots, and they were actually purifying pots. In Jewish tradition, um, they were pots for ritual purification. By performing this miracle in purification pots, Jesus was pointing to the fact that the old religious rituals and the old religious traditions were dead and that he was filling the urns with new life, the new wine. F.F. F. Bruce says, Christ is changing the water of Jewish purification into the wine of a new age, a new age that was breaking forth into the community. The new wine, of course, is the wine of his Holy Spirit, and Jesus said, you cannot be born again unless you're born of water and the Spirit. You know, Jesus brings joy to life. 
The joy that he gives is not the happiness of the world that is dependent on the circumstances around us. It is the joy, the upwelling joy of the Holy Spirit that comes incessantly through us as we seek to follow Christ and we invite him to fill us every day. Sure, we're going to have difficulties and suffering in our life. We're going to have hardships. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to face struggles. Jesus did. But the promise is of unspeakable joy. Paul says this, do not get drunk on wine. He recognized that that brings a sort of temporary happiness. But he says, this leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The word there, be filled, is go on being filled with the Spirit. And he goes on to say, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like we did today, we had some set songs and then our sister brought up that beautiful song, In the Spirit, that we could worship together. That is what the Spirit does in our lives. But I guess you want to ask me this question, Lorne, why was it when Mary said they have no wine, Jesus was almost rude to his mother and said, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Can you imagine Jesus speaking like that to his mum? Woman. But I think that this shows that Mary really knew Jesus. After all, he had lived with her in her house for 30 years. And she knew that he was God's son. The very fact that she came to Jesus himself and said they had no wine, and the very fact he said in reply to the, she said in reply to the servants, go and do whatever he tells you, she knew. She wasn't going to be offended by Jesus at all. She knew. She knew who to go to in a crisis. She knew who to go to when the chips were down. Because she knew that Jesus could change every situation. She trusted Jesus. And this is a great challenge to us when the crises and the difficulties of life come. Who do we go to first? Who do we trust in? But what did Jesus mean when he said, my time has not yet come? What did he mean by that? You see, miracles point to God. Miracles point to the heavens opening and God's transforming power bursting into the present. This miracle would have put Jesus right in the firing line with those who would later put him in the cross. And that time had not yet come. This was the greatest of all miraculous transformational things that have ever happened in the history of the universe. The death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection out of the grave is the greatest miracle, the greatest life-transforming moment in the history of creation. And he said, woman, my time hasn't come yet. When Jesus died on the cross, a gateway to God was opened. In one shattering moment, God made a way for us to come to the Father. 
And the sign of that was the 60 foot long, 30 foot high and four inches thick curtain in the temple that took 300 men to lift was torn from top to bottom because of Christ's death and his rising again we have access into the holy of holies this is when heaven truly opened and God's transforming power broke into the world forever glory be to God glory be to God finally we must not miss this point that the first miraculous sign was performed at a wedding. We mustn't miss this. By implications, we see all the joys that come through the blessings of being betrothed to Christ. When we surrender our lives to Christ and choose to live for him, we become part of the bride of Christ. And we receive all the benefits of a relationship with him. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All the things that God is, we can receive. And that's nothing also compared to the security that Christ gives us. You know, there are many ways we can have security in this world through insurance policies and bank accounts and all that sort of thing. I'm not decrying those. Those things are really helpful and we are so blessed, many of us. But the greatest security of all is to be a child of God. I remember talking to someone the other day, um, a friend of ours in Auckland, who looks like um, all their children are going to live overseas and they're kind of into their 70s now and we were sitting having a coffee with them and I was kind of feeling for them saying, you know, you're going to really miss your family. He just turned to me and said, Lorne, we know where our security lies. We know where it lies. The miracle at Cana brought such joy to so many people. Hollering, dancing, feasting, shouting, etc., etc., etc. This is a foretaste of what is to come. If you can remember the most joyous wedding you've ever been to, and you can multiply that by I don't know how many, because the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. That will give us a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb, written in the book of Revelation, which we'll be preaching on later this year. Listen to this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters, we are invited. 
as Christians, we can expect blessings in our lives. We can expect battles. And we can expect beyond the belief signs and wonders as we travel through this life. May God bless you this new year as you travel with Christ. Amen.